Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bren. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo, but just for a second here because it's Stephen Lassen Tuesday, as it always is here on that SEC podcast. Great conversation with Stephen talking Florida Gators, Billy Napier, year one, recapping a little bit of the bowl game, what to look forward to with the Gators. Stephen, as always, preaching patience here. Much needed patience down there in Gainesville. Uh, we're going to preview Missouri's bowl game, which is on Friday. Stephen actually even makes his pick for that game. And we go all across the league with Stephen Lassen here in just a moment. But we do have some news items around the SEC wanted to hit on first. And this one right at the top of the list here, this occurred Right before I hopped on the line here, a great thing, I always procrastinate so I can get this nightly news that drops. But big news, potentially, maybe not for next season necessarily, but for years to come in the SEC because Ole Miss quarterback commit Marcel Reed flipped his commitment from Ole Miss to Texas A&M. And I know for a fact that uh, – Marcel Reed, based on 24-7 sports composite, that's that's the most accurate ranking to, to go off of. Uh, if you're new to recruiting or you never heard me discuss it before, why the composite? Because they take all the recruiting rankings from across the board and the composite is the average. So, you know, you might get an outlier here or there, but if you got three services, all if, – if two say guy's a four-star, one says he's a five-star – the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. So long-winded way of saying Marcel Reed is I be, he's a top 20 quarterback prospect, and I think the composite has him as uh, the number 18 quarterback in the country. I say all that to say this. I know Lane Kiffin had Marcel Reed as a, a top five quarterback prospect, and Lane Kiffin, of all the things you can say positively about him, quarterback identification and development among his best traits. So this is potentially a huge loss again for Ole Miss. This is uh, Texas A&M getting a coup here. And he had been committed to Ole Miss dating back to April. He's a uh, Nashville native here. But adding a little fuel to the fire, you know, obviously the Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin feud in the offseason – then at the game, Lane Kiffin talking trash to some Aggies that were suspected of faking injuries. And then immediately after the game, Lane Kiffin <laughs> calling Jimbo a clown. Well, who's laughing now? But also, just thought this was fascinating. Literally moments after this happened, once Marcel Reed flipped from Ole Miss to Texas A&M, Lane Kiffin dug up a tweet from December 9th, from Marcel Reed, from the quarterback. This is what he said on December 9th. And again, Lane Kiffin retweeted this immediately after. Marcel Reed tweeted, What's the word? Question mark. Hashtag NIL. So the fact that Kiffin's out of here retweeting it, we know he's the biggest troll in the world of college football. He could just be trolling here. Or, as most other people have already assumed, Reed's decision based purely on NIL. It is what it is. It's all legal now. I, I mean, you're not allowed to use that as an inducement, but <laughs> just adds a little bit more fuel to this SEC West fire between Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Cannot wait for the league meetings. And, of course, when they meet on the field, <laughs> should be some fireworks there <laughs> in Oxford. All right, one other thing I really wanted to hit on here. Arkansas, they have officially announced the hiring of Travis Williams as their defensive coordinator. And Morgan Turner, I believe is the guy's name, the tight ends coach, they met with the media with Sam Pittman here all Monday to break us all down. Here's Sam Pittman on what he's really looking for 
in a defensive coordinator. And this is what we had said on the last episode. You're getting an elite recruiter in Fayetteville with the hiring of defensive coordinator Travis Williams. The thing that hit me about him was, you know, obviously I didn't interview anybody that I didn't feel like was a good coach, you know, from seeing, from watching film on on their product that they're putting out there. But then it became what kind of man, what kind of recruiter. Um, uh, we need uh, a recruiter at that position as well. Uh, I think good man, one that understands that recruiting is work. Um, and I just heard so many great things about him from guys I knew uh, that had called me. And then when I got in front of him, I can remember calling Hunter Juracek and say, we, we, I found him. You know, and there was there was no doubt in my mind. Um, I said, this, this is the guy. This is the guy that we need. Now, one other thing I, th- I just thought this was fantastic. <laughs> a lot of these SEC fan bases, you know who you are, tracking these planes during coaching searches. Well, Arkansas, among the most notorious for tracking these planes, so much so that Sam Pittman – Basically gave a shout-out to the media and the fan base that all they do is sit here and track these plays. Sam Pittman's on to you. He knew what was going on. He had to <laughs> adjust his plans so no one knew what the hell was going on there as he searched for the next Arkansas defensive coordinator. Here they are. Can I say or no? Or I flew from Baltimore who y'all thought I was going to – or not y'all, but somebody's tracking the plane. I was going to hire the guy from – Maryland, which bless his heart of I me, mean, he had to deal with that. I flew from there to Tampa because I knew y'all was flying the plane or tracking the plane. UCF's in Orlando, so I flew to Tampa. He met me over there. We visited. And then in the meantime, he was down recruiting for Stanford in Miami. So we flew from Tampa to pick him up in Miami and we had done the contract and all this kind of stuff during the day picked him up and brought him back and so yeah it was kind of fun to be honest with you (laughs) so I just thought that was great I got one more clip here from Sam Pittman but before we get to that Travis Williams on wanting to get back into the SEC and Sam Pittman doing the sales pitch with his family as well it's reminded me of Cousin Shane. <laughs> Cousin Shane is a salesman in real life. I shared this clip with him. He, he's dying laughing. Um, Travis, uh, for you, you, you played at Auburn. You played in the SEC. Was that important for you to, to get back into the SEC as a coach? Yes, it was, it was very important. Just understanding the SEC. You know, I like the competition, recruiting, football, everything. So it was, just, it was important to get back and just understanding the landscape, understanding what it takes understanding the type of player you need to be successful in the SEC. So that was, that was a big that was a big selling point as well. Got kind of more personal questions, but um, we just think about you guys, but you guys got wives and families and stuff. What, what was your wives and kids' reactions to, to coming to Arkansas? Fired up. So got the news, called my wife. So we didn't tell the girls. So I have three daughters. So I have an 11-year-old, about to have a 7-year-old uh, here in a couple of days, and a 5-year-old. So all three girls. Um, so we told them all together. Uh, that night, and they were they were just fired up and put the, put the stadium on the TV, and that's where we going. And um, I said, you know, we may have some snow, and it was fired up about snow. It was, that it was, was just... <laughs> that was the biggest sell because when I talked to them on Facetime, beautiful family. When I talked to them on Facetime, they were they were going and snow and snow and snow. So I'm I'm like, you know how it is. You're going, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I felt pretty fast it was a good thing. So I started, oh yeah, and snowmans and all that kind of stuff. Fired up. I mean, they had fired up. So it was it was just it was awesome. Yeah, awesome moment. it was. <laughs> All right, so leave it to Sam Pittman. Oh, the ultimate recruiter here even had to recruit the family of his newest defensive coordinator. I just thought that was great. Again, we'll, we'll get into this more with Steven talking about Travis Williams, how he fits into the program up here at Arkansas. I just thought everybody would appreciate – I thought Razorback fans in particular would appreciate those comments. And then last thing here, I thought this was kind of important. Someone asked Sam Pittman, well, why, why are the struggles this year? Nine wins last season, only six this year. Possibility of getting a seventh in the bowl game. But credit Sam Pittman for being 
honest, transparent with why Arkansas struggled this year on the field. Let's kick it back over to Sam Pittman one last time. There's a fine line between you guys being eight and four or even nine and three this year yeah. and being six and six. What do you – is there anything you can just maybe touch on that separated what another another year like last year and then being six and six? I think, to be honest, um, our red zone offense, um, I, you can look at those in, in two of the games. You know, we can't we, – we didn't get the ball in from the two. Twice, um, obviously Missouri and LSU. Um, I think that you you look in, at our secondary play um, certainly uh, needs to improve a lot, and uh, I think uh, we we can do that. Um, it was injury wise and inconsistency both uh, that we've got to get better there. Um, but those are the two things there, and, and to be honest with you, uh, obviously I didn't think that we maintained our strength or we were strong enough, and uh, uh, nutrition has something to do with that as well. If you look at our players at the end of the year versus when it started in fall camp, we don't look like the same team, and uh, that is nobody's fault but my own. But. Uh, I did not feel like we had maintained or improved in those in those areas, and we've got to improve on the field. But you have to – we we at times we've got physically uh, beat, and I didn't feel like we were having those problems uh, in the second year here. Obviously, we played some really fine teams my first year here, but uh, I felt like we got whipped physically some, and we – we certainly have to change that too. So there's several, several offensive, defensive reasons where I think because we lost four games by nine points, but uh, we don't want to be saying that again. And so it's my job to fix it, and I th think we're headed in that direction. Now you may be sitting here saying, "Well, what the what the hell's a big deal?" I mean, he's calling out what a lot of the fans already saw: red zone deficiencies, secondary issues, strength and conditioning. They fired the strength and conditioning coach. I believe it was like literally the day after the season, regular season ended. Already got the new guy in there. But why I want to call attention to this, there's a lot of coaches. You want you think these players got egos. These coaches got egos. And a lot of them not willing to admit things like this. Maybe they will behind closed doors, but hell, some like Jimbo. Again, I got to stop burying Jimbo. We're, this is off-season of hype at College Station. But some coaches think it's this is how I got this job. This has always worked. There's nothing wrong with me. It's execution. It's this assistant. It's that assistant. It ain't me. Sam Pittman is putting this on himself, and he's calling it like it is. And had Arkansas executed in the red zone, had they not had key injuries in the secondary, had the strength and conditioning – not taking a slight step back. Arkansas probably won eight games again this year. Because there's, you know, two or three games that came down to a single possession. They, I think they were one and four in one possession games. You're not going to win them all, but you certainly shouldn't lose as many as they did this season in Fayetteville. They, they kind of flipped the script from last season. So identifying the issues and being clear and concise and admitting it, that's the first step to correcting it. doesn't guarantee it, but there's a lot of coaches out here. Les Biles, let's throw him under the bus. Would not admit it, would not adjust, and his ass is not in the SEC anymore. And they're not alone. There's many, many that fall into that category. Sam Pittman, this may be his first time as a head coach. He's not a rookie anymore. He's been through this for several seasons. But identifying issues and manning up, being honest about them, again, first step to correcting these things. We'll see if they do it this offseason in Fayetteville. Now, real quick here, South Carolina. I just thought this was interesting. Spencer Rattler committed to playing in the bowl game. I don't think that was ever in question, but – uh, again, they're playing Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl, of course. But uh, 
you know, recently caught wind of his actual comments discussing his decision to play in the Gator Bowl. And I don't know, you be the judge. Listen to what Spencer Rattler has to say here, short clips. You know, Coach Beamer has been great to me all year. He, for him even bringing me here, it was, was a blessing. So the least I, least I could do was play in the bowl game. So I had to do it for him, the coaching staff, and obviously the players as well. You know, all we got is all we need. And um, we got some young guys that are hungry to make plays. We got guys that are experienced here that, you know, wanted to finish this thing outright. Um, so, you know, we're excited about the opportunity. It's a big bowl game, and, you know, we're going to go make South Carolina proud. So just based on his comments, and maybe we're just reading too much into his actual comments, but based on what he said there, it's it sounds to me like he's leaning towards going to the NFL, which certainly could be the case. I mean, I basically all insiders have, have said it's basically 50-50. But do you really sit here and say, was well, the least I could do is play in a bowl game? If you're for sure coming back, I don't think you do. And maybe when he gave this interview, he was thinking about going to the NFL. Maybe after the game, he's thinking about coming back. I don't know. But just interesting comments there from South Carolina star quarterback Spencer Rattler. His pending decision, one of the biggest looming in the SEC following this bowl game. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. And last little one here, Missouri. Let's kick it all down to Eli Drinkwitz real quick. Held a press conference here on Monday. We're going to talk about the bowl, the bowl game against Wake Forest with Stephen Lassen. Also get into looking ahead to Missouri's 2023 season and all they got going on. But I just thought this was uh, funny and kind of clears things up for the bowl game. Quarterback coach Bush Hardman off to Boise State to be the offensive coordinator. Drink was asked, about younger players stepping up, playing more in this bowl game, and specifically at quarterback. We know who they're talking about, Sam Horn. It ain't going to be Sam Horn in this bowl game. No surprise, but just get some clarification on this from, from old drink. And then what's the plan on replacing Bush Harmon? Again, because of recruiting, because of the transfer portal, because of a bowl game, the coaching carousel, so many moving parts, it's hard to even – Think about getting a quarterback coach in here. Uh, and that's kind of, at least that's what I took away from what old uh, Drinkwitz had to say. You mentioned a few of the young guys that are going to play and, and getting some other guys a chance. And then a quarterback, or is that determined by the game situation? Is this Brady's until? Yeah, I'd say it's Brady's until. You could ask the quarterback's coach, but he's not here. <laughs> No, I don't. I think it gives uh, uh, me an opportunity to kind of sit back, reflect, and, and see what best positions us moving forward to accomplish our goals. And, um, you know, I know right now my focus is all gas on trying to win this football game, and, and so nothing that I can do right now is going to help us do that. So after the game, you know, I'll, I'll kind of sit down and figure out what direction we need to go in that position. Um, and what we're looking for offensively moving forward. But all right, hey, so that's all I got around the SEC. Let's kick it over to our interview with the great Stephen Lassen. All right, we're pleased to once again be joined by the man, Stephen Lassen. Of course, you know him, senior editor, Athlon Sports. Give him a follow, at Athlon Stephen, and don't forget to check out his outstanding YouTube channel, All CFB 365. Stephen, thanks for joining us once again. Hey, Mike. It's always good to join you. Thanks, as always, for having me on. It is a very busy and exciting time <laughs> in the world of college football. We've got bowl season. We've got transfers. We've got coaching. We've got signing day. Man, the list just goes on and on. So I'm excited to, to join you and break it all down today. Yeah, and speaking of bowl season, Stephen, uh, the SEC unfortunately got off to a rather rough start here. 0-1 this bowl season. Florida goes down to Oregon State 30-3. to It's not so much that they lost the game. I think that was anticipated by most, especially once you, you started looking at who wasn't going to play for the Gators, who was playing for Oregon State. They basically had a full roster for a, a nine-win, now a 10-win team here. But uh, I don't know. What was your thoughts on, on Florida? Based, I don't want to say no-show. That's not fair. But, uh, you know, with all the losses, they were just listless 
on offense, and uh, that that game was not even competitive. I think what you said there kind of describes it the best is listless. I think if you're a Florida fan, you can understand all of the the player absences from Anthony Richardson to some other guys on offense and defense. And you knew as a 10 point underdog, it was going to be pretty tough to, to be able to overcome that. And you mentioned it, Oregon state was playing at full strength. They were motivated to get that 10th win and beat Florida in a bowl game. So all the motivation in the world was on Oregon State side. The roster situation was on Oregon State side. I think if you're a Florida fan, I think you would just like to have seen just a little, the game be a little bit more competitive. And I think the way that the game played out early on wasn't really surprising. You You could tell Florida on the script early came out, had some good designs schematically. But then as the game wore on, just the, the talent edge and the roster and everything else in Oregon State uh, kind of broke in their favor. You know, you could point to things on all three sides of the ball for Florida. I mean, offense, defense, special teams all had mistakes in that game. So it, it's not the best way to to end the season if you're, you're Billy Napier, to, to put it mildly. But also, I think some of that credit goes to Oregon State. They were just the better team on, on Saturday and the better roster situation. And, and what we're going to see a lot of this in bowl season now, I think. Yeah, unfortunately. So let me ask you, Steve, where does this leave Billy Napier after his first year on the job, losing record? Uh, I believe the guy's name was Charlie Bell back in 1979. Worst debut for a Florida coach since that 79 season. Um, Not not to say that it's (laughs) nearly as bad for, I believe he went 0-10-1 for the Gators back end. Billy Napier, not close to that. I realize a lot of this is not on Billy Napier and given all the defections and everything, I'm not really not even judging him on the bowl loss, to be honest with you, because the same thing we said in the preseason, Stephen, this team will will go as far as Anthony Richardson can take them without Anthony Richardson. I mean, it just, it just showed you his value to this football team. So not even looking at the, the bowl game, but, you know, essentially losing to every game that Florida fans care about, Lost to Vanderbilt. Again, in today's modern era of, of college football, you can turn this thing over in, a, in an offseason. But are we at a place? I mean, this is just wild to even suggest, Stephen, but it I don't want to put him on the hot seat, but is he on a you know wait and see if, if he's the answer? I don't know. What's your thoughts? I'm kind of rambling here, but do you think uh has year one tainted? your image of Billy Napier at all. Cause we got to remember Stephen, when he got hired, there was a lot of people saying, what the hell's LSU thinking here? Looking over a, a guy came out of Louisiana here. This is a guy that South Carolina at, at one point tried to get Tennessee tried to get, I'm sure, I'm sure many, many others. Billy Napier has an outstanding reputation prior to this season. And, and he still may, but uh, where does this six and seven season leave you uh, with Billy Napier going into year two in Gainesville. I was going to say, I don't, I don't, I think hot seat for some people on the internet. I saw a buyout uh, thing <laughs> floating around on GoFundMe <laughs> on Saturday after the game, probably a little premature. I think something you said there is, is kind of where I land and that a lot of this is not Billy Napier's fault. I, I, I Ask Florida fans to to let me go down a path and hang with me because I'm going to use Florida State as an example. Uh, under Mike Norvell, they weren't very good the first two years. And then by year three, they're sitting there at nine and three and probably going to finish in the top 10 if they win their bowl game. And you saw a lot of things that happened at Florida State are happening now at Florida, whether it's kind of questionable culture, roster issues, depth across the board. You can kind of point to almost every area of Florida right now and see this can only be solved by getting more talent in the program. I brought this up earlier this year with you, Mike. I think if you made a list of the players on Florida's offense and you said, who are the best players? It's probably Osiris Torrance, uh, best receivers, Ricky Pearsall, the two running backs. One's a transfer, one's a freshman and the other would probably be Anthony Richardson. Um, You could maybe quibble and put another offensive lineman in that mix too. My broader point is that you could see where this team is from a talent perspective in the preseason. We at Athlon Sports only had six Florida players on the preseason all-conference team. That's got to be one of the lowest marks that I can remember in some time. And when you start kind of deconstructing the roster, you could see some of their better players were transfers. 
this season. So I think if they didn't have those guys, who knows where they would have been um, this season. So I, I think it speaks to the steep roster overhaul that needs to happen. But within that, I think you can criticize some of the things that happened during the season. I mean, we saw the lapses on Saturday, uh, whether it was special teams, whether it was listless on offense or defense. So I, I think on one hand, you have to say it is talent. On the other side of things, you would like to see some of those things cleaned up. I'll pose a question to you and see what you think about this. If Florida beats Vanderbilt this season, does that change our view of Billy Napier's season? And they get to seven wins and they're not, they don't have the loss to Vanderbilt because other than that, four of the five losses before the bowl came by 10 points or less. And the other one was to Georgia. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it does, Stephen. And going back, I mean, we live in such a minute to minute, hour by hour uh, world now in college football. But I remember you, you go back to that leading up to that Vanderbilt game. They whooped South Carolina, and they're the last one to beat South Carolina, including two top 10 playoff-bound teams, potentially, before they lost to the Gamecocks. So they had it rolling, and I thought they would whoop Vanderbilt. I thought they would beat Florida State. And then here, we wouldn't have put them for coach of the year, but we would have said, my God, the momentum down there in Gainesville. So I think that's the that's probably the best way to look at it and, and not hit the panic button like we all do after after you get embarrassed in a in a bowl game, we just overreaction is is at an all time high in, in modern college sports. You know what? I I would say yes. I, I would I totally agree with you about the the overreaction thing. Per- personally, I think it's way too early to hit the panic button on Billy Napier. I, I think it is fair to wonder if you're Florida, a coach from the Sun Belt, takes over a program in the SEC. It is a much difficult. Uh, rebuild process, a much different landscape. It's it's a lot easier to turn things around at Louisiana than it is when you're playing Georgia and Tennessee and, and Alabama, A&M, and, and the rest of the teams in the SEC. So I, I definitely think that he has something to prove, and he has to prove that he can rebuild quickly in the SEC because at some point you do have to show proof of concept. Because if you ha- you can sell optimism and you can sell momentum for only so long, but if the wins aren't there, all your promise in recruiting on the roster with the way you can transfer and go play somewhere else right away, it can fall apart quick. So I, I think there has to be some urgency to sort of show that, yes, there we, we know the roster isn't in great shape. Yes, we need to know. Uh, we, we need to win right away, and you have to start stacking some things on a positive note next year. The good news is looks like they're going to have a pretty good recruiting class. Uh, I do think if they can go out and get a quarterback in the portal, I think that re- rebuilding effort next year, you can sort of turn the speed up on it, and, and especially if it's one of the difference makers there. So I, I wouldn't panic too much if I'm a Florida fan yet. Ask me next year. Uh, after after next season, if Florida underachieves, uh, then I think I'll start to get a little bit more worried. Well, I'm glad you you mentioned the quarterbacks, Stephen, because uh, there, there's two I wanted to ask you about specifically with Florida. Apparently, uh, Graham Mertz from Wisconsin has visited, and Coastal Carolina's uh, Grayson McCall, who, who we hit on last week. You, you seem very high on Grayson. But uh, the fit, because I think that is also – very important for Billy Napier's offensive system from what we've seen year one at Florida and going back to Louisiana. Which one of those quarterbacks do you think would excel more in the system, Grayson McCall or Graham Mertz? Definitely Grayson McCall. Uh, I, I don't think any quarterback, or, or well, there are probably a few, could have the arm strength of, of Anthony Richardson downfield. So I think it's more about finding someone who can fit some of the other things that uh, Billy Napier has done at Louisiana and some of the things he's done at Florida. And McCall is a much better runner. Um, we saw this at Coastal Carolina operating out of the shotgun, out of the pistol, uh, that just getting him on the edge and allowing him to throw on the edge, create plays with his legs. This year he got hurt. That's why his rushing stats are a little bit lower. So if you go back to the last couple of years, he has been a much more uh, dynamic runner. But that shouldn't overshadow him as a passer. I mean, he's been very efficient with the ball, 
good yards per attempt, low interceptions, good accuracy. You know, Coastal had a way of scheming guys open. So I will be curious when you if you play a, a SEC program, the windows are going to be a lot tighter. Uh, but I think he or Devin Leary are the two quarterbacks right now that I would want if I need a quarterback in the portal. Mertz is interesting for the upside. He came to Wisconsin as the biggest quarterback recruit the school's ever signed at a high school. Uh, Russell Wilson would be the the transfer. Uh, Mertz would be the high school recruit. And he started his first game at Wisconsin looking great. He, I think he threw five touchdowns against Illinois. Uh, but it was really all kind of downhill from there. Some of it wasn't his fault. They didn't really have a lot of playmakers at receiver. He's much more, I think, of a drop back kind of passer mold. He would fit better in a system like that. So I, I think if you're Florida, if you can land Grayson McCall, if you can get on the radar for Devin Leary, either one of those two right now, based upon the quarterbacks in the portal, those would be my favorites. A final thing I wanted to ask you about Florida, Stephen, uh, these three, there's three things kind of going on here, and I'm just wondering which one is maybe the biggest gut punch, so to speak, for that Florida fan base, if you, if you want to put it that way. Being six and seven, having a losing record, which is never supposed to happen at Florida, and, and I, now obviously you, you look at all the losses, including Vanderbilt, which was rough. You mentioned Florida State emerging. That that has got to kill you or Miami, which is just dreadful on the field <laughs> yet. They've got by all accounts, like a top five. I've seen them as high as number three in the country recruiting. That's what you need to do to, to build a championship program. Which, which one do you think bothers Florida fans the most? Man, that's a tough one because, you know, I mean, first of all, Miami signed and I got a commitment from an offensive lineman, who then his nickname is the pancake concho. So, you know, you have to be a pretty good offensive lineman to get that nickname. And they signed Javion Cohen uh, or got a commitment from him out of the portal. So uh, Miami's doing some good things on the roster front, but like Florida, I think proof of concept, I think will be crucial going forward. I, I would probably have to say just the losing record. Like you, you could almost like your rivals, they, they, they can be good at the same time. And as long as you beat them and you have a winning record too, uh, you're probably pretty happy. Like if Florida State's 10 and 2 and Florida's 10 and 2, but you beat them, you know, that's a tip in the cap of, of Florida. So I, I think six and seven probably doesn't sit very well, given that Florida State was good this year. And of course, like you mentioned, Miami's recruiting class. Yeah, no doubt. Now, so, so you kind of you already hit on uh, Devin Leary. Um, apparently, over the weekend, he visited Auburn. You know, Hugh Freeze's program, they've got some big-time momentum on the recruiting trail, and he's also visited Kentucky. So, And a lot of people up there in Lexington, they feel very confident that they're going to land Leary, which would be a, a big boom for them. Uh, I'm just curious if Devin Leary called up Stephen Lassen and said, where should I go? Should I go to Auburn and, and learn from Hugh Freeze and company, or should I go to Kentucky and learn from Liam Cohen, uh, which spot do you think is, uh, you know, the, the ideal landing spot for, for Devin Leary? Both are pretty good. I, I think if you're going to learn from offensive minds, I mean, you know, Philip Montgomery, Hugh Freeze, and, and some of the other coaches they have there, I, I think you could learn a lot. I think it's also a pretty big selling point if you're Kentucky to be able to be able to say, hey, Liam Cohen, uh, is a guy who coached for uh, Sean McVay, who won a Super Bowl. He coached Matthew Stafford. Look at his impact on this offense last year. Also, Will Levis is going to be first, second round pick somewhere in there. So if you come to Kentucky, you can play right away, number one. Number two, you've got two standout receivers in Barry and Brown and Dane Key, who are probably better than anything that Auburn's going to have next year, at least at this point, not given any transfer portal uh, guys coming into Auburn. And I think the offensive line commitments that they got at least give the offensive line uh, some depth there. So I think if I'm Devin Leary, the system that Liam Cohen can put in combined with the weapons on the outside, I would probably go to Kentucky. I think that's a pretty good fit for his, for his skill set. Mm, no, it just lost us the Auburn fans. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> I, I would grace him a call. <laughs> uh, we'll win him back. Grace him a call. <laughs> I would go to Auburn if I was him, I think. 
<laughs> okay. Well, speaking of Kentucky, I did want to ask you this, Stephen. Are they a candidate and maybe the candidate for the SEC's most improved team? Should they – maybe let's not throw uh, Leary into that mix just yet because it, that might make the answer too easy. But with Liam Cohen, we've already uh, hit on the, the offensive line additions they've got. They also landed uh, a, a safety, I believe, from Ohio State, and I believe a corner from Cincinnati. I think it was a, that, by most regards, maybe the top corner in the transfer portal. Could you make the case that, uh, and if Kentucky, you know, the caveat is that they have to add a quarterback, no doubt. But if they land a quarterback, would you? Feel confident saying Kentucky could possibly do the biggest 180 in the SEC next season? 100% agree with you because I think, first of all, I would much rather be in the SEC East than the West. I think it's a much easier path to get from fourth or fifth to second. I think Kentucky also hosts uh, Tennessee and Florida next year in Lexington. Uh, that's a big check in the schedule. But also, I think just look around the the East. I mean, Tennessee's losing, obviously, the losing Hendon Hooker. We don't know what the quarterback situation, how it's, how fast it'll come together with some of the weapons that Tennessee's losing. Also, Florida still in a state of transition. Uh, South Carolina could be looking for a quarterback. I think Missouri will be solid. But it, it just seems wide open for a team to make that jump next year. And if you're Kentucky with the track record of Stoops uh, building that defense, if they can get a quarterback in, it seems like to me that second, third is kind of up for the taking next year. I, I think you most people probably pencil in Tennessee second behind Georgia in, in the early SEC 2023 predictions, and, and I probably would too. But I think there's also the potential for Kentucky to be a lot better next year too. Now, two teams, Stephen, that are really getting hit hard by the transfer portal, at least so far. Texas A&M, they lead the SEC in, in defections, if you want to call it that. And Arkansas is, is not far behind. Uh, which team concerns you the most with this roster turnover? Uh, you know, clearly the message out of College Station is, well, we get a ton of injuries, ton of youth. That's kind of why we had so many issues. But they do, you know, even adding to the transfer portal losses, some of their best players off to the NFL Devon Archain, Antonio Johnson. Uh, we'll see. I don't. I don't believe Anaya Smith has made a, a final declaration, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they've lost some big time receivers. Which roster concerns you the most uh, with the offseason losses at this? And, and take into consideration, they can. We got recruiting coming up. We can add certainly via the transfer portal. But which one concerns you the most? Arkansas or A&M losing all these pieces to the portal? It's a really tough question. You, you know, I think you could make a case for either one. I think maybe Arkansas, a, a little bit stronger of a case for me, especially when you lose Catalone at safety, you lose Isaiah Nichols along the defensive line, who is probably going to start in the Liberty Bowl combined with some of the other losses that they've had um, at receiver too. No Jackson, uh, Trey Knox as well, throwing throwing in guys too, like Jaden Hazelwood going off to the NFL. I know A&M obviously had the uh, the worst record this year, but it feels like when we start constructing the roster for next season, of course, with A&M's recruiting class last year and just in previous years, they should have more roster talent uh, there in College Station. Arkansas's got the ultimate uh, card to play, which is they have the better quarterback in K.J. Jefferson. But when you lose so many guys like Arkansas has on defense, especially in the secondary, um, you know, you can bring in more recruits than ever because you can recruit all the way up to the 85 man cap. There's no 25 man cap this year. So there is that ability to reload quickly, but you're also, I think, going into the portal looking for guys to start right away. I think they're going to need to find some impact players. So far, they've done that on offense. We haven't seen that yet on defense. So I'm, I'm looking as, as we go forward to see what Travis Williams and uh, Sam Pittman can do on defense in terms of recruiting. Cause I think they've been, I think that's the one that concerns me a little bit more, given that they're losing bumper pool, Drew Sanders, and some of the other guys we talked about in the portal. Well, I did want to ask you about Arkansas, uh, but before I get to that, uh, A&M still has not hired an offensive coordinator. Does that surprise you at all? Or does that 
it kind of leads me to believe, Stephen, that uh, they're targeting someone that's either still coaching, um, you know, maybe a playoff contender, like a, I know the popular ones, Garrett Riley. <laughs> Every fan base that has an offensive coordinator opening wants Garrett Riley, or perhaps uh, an NFL coach. I, I think that's certainly a possibility as well. Uh, what do you make of AM not yet having hired an offensive coordinator? I don't think it's too big of a concern yet because I think we're going to have another round of coordinator and coach, uh, assistant coach changes after signing day. Keep in mind, there's still some bowl games coming up too. Uh, you know, I, I threw out Jeff Grimes from Baylor. They play in a few days down the road uh, against Air Force. So th- there's a ton of coaches, I think, that could be involved in bowl games that maybe once we get past signing day, we get past the bowl game, that they suddenly become available uh, for Texas A&M. I, I think given where, knowing that this has been Jimbo Fisher's system, knowing you already have your quarterback for next year, uh, you have Evan Stewart back, you've got one of the top committed running backs in the nation coming in. You know, I don't think A&M's offense is in, is in really rough shape. You, you need to figure out the coordinator and you need to figure out the scheme going forward. But I, I think at this point, given that we're going to have another round of assistant moves, I don't think it's a huge concern yet for for Jimbo Fisher. Well, now moving on to Arkansas, of course, they made the the hire Travis Williams official, the new defensive coordinator. Um, what can you tell us about uh, his defenses down there at Central Florida? Yeah, I think the first thing that always comes to to mind when you think about Travis Williams and, and the the words that when you talk to people who've known him, it always become like he's a great recruiter kind of energetic, enthusiasm, high energy guy. So I, I think Arkansas fans will like you know from him from a personality standpoint. I think he's going to be a fun addition to that staff. I think his recruiting ties are you know really important too. Um, of course, he played at Auburn. I think he understands the SEC. So being able to recruit the footprint, being able to have ties to Florida, probably a good thing for Arkansas. I was I had to admit, I, I think the, the two names that were thrown around were, were Chris Hampton and, and Travis Williams. I would probably rather have had Chris Hampton if, if I was an Arkansas fan, just because of the, the drastic improvement that Tulane's defense made. You look at UCF's defense, um, it wasn't very good in 2020. It got a little bit better in 2021, and then it kind of regressed this year. So I there's really not an extended track record of success. But I I think the things we know about him is that he can recruit. He also used kind of a hybrid uh, defense with some three-man, four-man fronts, used a lot of five defensive backs at UCF, which is going to be important to combat some of those offenses that are in the SEC West. And there was some improvement on on UCF's defense. I I mean, they were giving up 6.1 yards per play, and then they cut it down to about 5.1. So I think there was definitely improvement. It's just why why did that not continue into 2022, I think, is probably one of the questions I I would like to dig into a little bit more. But, But I think overall, Mike, I think this is a really solid hire for Arkansas. Yeah, my concern is just that, uh, you know, for as hard a time as some people foolishly gave Barry Odom, because, my God, he he won them a number of games over the years. But uh, I just think the drop-off, is potentially massive when we're talking just a defensive play caller. Do you think that's fair? And and maybe, you know, again, you got to take into consideration that uh, by a lot of metrics, Barry Odom, if he wasn't the best in the SEC, top two or three defensive play callers, and uh, it's just going to be near impossible to replace him with a defensive mind that is a uh, you know, former head coach in the SEC, former defensive coordinator in the SEC. It, there's just, there's not really someone like that out there right there to, for Arkansas to grab. Was there? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's, I think it's fair to wonder if Arkansas, did they upgrade downgrade, stay about the same? I, I don't think they upgraded at all trading Barry Odom for Travis Williams. That may not age well. I'd be happy to, to admit if I'm wrong. Um, but he's only been a coordinator for two years. And I think the question that I have is, is he the guy, given that they have a lot of personnel losses, they need to rebuild through the portal. Can he take you know all of that and help this defense take a step forward? He did at UCF in year one, 
but like we mentioned, they regressed this year. You know, that would worry me a little bit if I'm an Arkansas fan. So, so some of this is going to be personnel driven. You know, they're, they're really going to have to hit the portal hard because, you know, we, we mentioned it. There's no Drew Sanders next year. Um, bumper pulls off to the NFL. There's some serious personnel concerns uh, I have for this defense. So really, this might be a kind of two year plan as they try to get this defense back on track. And there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him, too. I mean, he's still a young defensive coordinator. Um, you, you look as, at UCF this year. They gave up 31 or more points in three of their last four games. So some of their regression was at the end of the year. Could be injuries, could be attrition in there too. So I, I think overall it is a solid hire. I do wonder if 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 it's a. I, I think it's a definite downgrade from Barry Odom. It's going to be really hard, I think, to replace him, even though the defense wasn't great this year. Well, in in fairness, I don't know where you stand on this, Stephen, but I'm a big believer that players matter more than the coaches and and if you we just want to talk from a recruiting aspect i think travis williams is an upgrade so maybe it's maybe at the end of the day it's like you said maybe it's kind of a little bit of a wash you, you think that's fair to say if arkansas's defensive recruiting in particular uh was upgraded by the making this hire i think th- i think that's fair i think there's there's one thing that you consistently pick up on from sam Pittman when it comes to re- from assistant coach hires that recruiting, 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 you've got to be able to go out and recruit. And of course you got to be able to recruit Texas, the state boundary, the portal all across the footprint in the sec. So I do think is if I was building a perfect defensive coordinator and you gave me Travis Williams, I would take his recruiting, take Barry Odom's ability for X's and O's uh, and knowledge of the, of the defense. And maybe you would have something. So I, I think from a recruiting perspective, it's an upgrade. I think we'll have to wait and see about the other parts of it. And also, like you said, players, uh, we need to see Arkansas get some instant impact defenders out of the portal real soon. Yeah. And since we last talked, Stephen, we even had, you know, this is one of the uh, kind of, because of all the stuff that's going on, not even enough people talking about this, but we have literally had a head coaching hire in the SEC due to tragic reasons, of course, the passing of Mike Leach. But Mississippi State moves on with defensive coordinator Zach Arnett. He's the youngest coach, head coach in the SEC now. Um, I, I caught, if anybody missed it, go check out uh, Stephen on the uh, Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast. Here's, he, he talked in great length about uh, you know Mississippi State's job opening when it was there but uh can you kind of rehash some of those thoughts on Zach Arnett and uh you know I don't I don't want to discredit Zach Arnett but by making this statement Stephen but I feel like they were almost no choice given that all the things that are going on and and you want to have some continuity you've got signing day literally hours away here that's not to diminish Zach Arnett because he's had multiple opportunities to leave Mississippi State and be defensive coordinator elsewhere. Uh, but again, this this feels like the only move, but that does not mean that it's a bad move, in my opinion. What did you make of Zach Arnett now becoming the next Mississippi State head coach? I think that's a great way to put it. I, I think, first of all, I think Mississippi State is a really difficult job. And, and I think just based upon history, based upon the footprint of the SEC, where they are in job hierarchy, the opponents in the SEC West, it may get a little easier if you once you do a wave of divisions, you're not playing uh the the gauntlet of the West. Maybe you can slide some of the teams from the East in there. I think you're you know the circumstances of this are just awful. There there's no there's no easy way to talk about it. So I hope like I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything. It's just that if you're Mississippi State you're in a time crunch. You know, you've got recruiting, you've got signing day, you've got transfers. You have to move fast. And I think to your point, it, it was it's the right decision. And it was probably the only decision at this point, because if you go on an extended coaching search with signing day coming up and everything, I mean, man, your your roster could really, really take a hit. And 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 just I don't think going away from the momentum that the program has right now. Is a good thing. I think it, it is probably the only decision, but also I think it's the right one. I mean, Zach Arnett's defenses are consistently tough. Uh, some of the coach scouting that we've gotten in our magazine year over year, 
I mean, just raves about defensive scheme, uh, you know, aggressiveness on defense from Zach Garnett. But also, I think given what Mississippi State has coming back next year, you have Will Rogers coming back. You have some guys on defense who have already opted to come back in 2023. You have the core for what should be a pretty solid team next year. So I think opting for continuity and sort of stability at a at a time where you need it. You have also an athletic director search that's going on at the same time too. I think that stability, continuity, and I think it's the right call given the circumstances to keep this team together and try to see through the next couple of years. And also, Zach Arnett, I always sort of do a test when you see coaches that, that are hired. Like if I was another team, would I want to interview Zach Arnett for that for a head coaching job? I think the answer is yes. I think given his track record, a very fast rise as a defensive coordinator and the success that he's had, I think I would, if I was another team in another conference, I would want to interview him for another job. So I, I don't think it's a significant leap for him. He's a rising star, and I think it was only a matter of time before he became a head coach, whether it was here uh, or somewhere else. Now, what do you think he should do on the offensive uh, side of the ball, Steven? Should he stick with the air raid? Should they... Should they modernize it at all? I know I know. there's been some talk of uh, fans wanting more of a mobile quarterback. I mean, that's not to diminish Will Rogers. I mean, he's he's shattering every school record. He's going to shatter many SEC records if he stays for, for two more years. So I'm not suggesting certainly they, they run him off or anything, but uh, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts? Do you, th- do you think they'll stick kind of with the same offense? And um, I don't know. What? Where would you lean on that? I would keep the air raid. I also think you can modernize in a little bit, maybe mix in a little bit more run, um, sort of vary up some of those um, run schemes, maybe just run it a little bit more, whatever kind of tweak that you want to put on it. I think because you have a proven quarterback, and, and frankly, Will Rogers is probably a top three quarterback in the SEC next year, given what's returning and also his production and career so far. So he's probably one of the top 10 to 15 nationally next year. I think you don't want to ask him, I don't think, at this point, given you have the personnel to run this offense to make drastic changes. You know, there are some names, I think, that that make a ton of sense here. I think you look at Seth Luttrell, who was the former head coach at North Texas, uh, was just let go. He's got a background in the air raid. They also ran the ball well at North Texas in recent years. So I think that's to me is the the kind of formula you could go for. You just try to keep what you're doing, but also make a few tweaks, run the ball a little bit more, and get a little bit more balance. You you could still have the best passing offense in the SEC, maybe run it just a little bit more. Hmm. Now we do have a a bowl game to talk about here, Stephen. We're going to have it on uh, Friday, uh, Missouri Wake Forest in the Gasparilla Bowl. I don't even know what that. I think they make lawnmowers or something like that. But uh, thoughts on uh, on this Missouri Wake Forest matchup here? You know, Wake Forest is in an interesting spot this this bowl season. They won the ACC Atlantic last year, made it to the conference championship game, and they brought back a ton of talent off that team. And I think the thinking was with Sam Hartman at quarterback and some others, they could make another run at the ACC championship game. And it didn't work out. They got the seven and five. They started off well. Uh, You may remember the game against Clemson that they took Clemson to overtime. And after that, they just kind of weren't the same team. I think they started six and one and finished seven and five. So you can kind of see how throughout the year uh, they got a little worse. All their losses are respectable. I mean, they lost to, to bowl teams, so they're not losing to bad teams. The best, I think the best way to sum up Wake Forest is they can score. They're probably going to have trouble stopping people, especially in the secondary. So uh, if you're Missouri, curious to see how that Missouri front with some pieces missing matches up against Wake Forest offensive line. Wake Forest, from an offensive line perspective, can give up some sacks. And Sam Hartman, their quarterback, is very good. He is a little prone to some interceptions at times, but one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC, if you haven't watched Wake Forest, they run sort of a unique 
uh, slow kind of slow mesh read play. It's like it feels like the quarterback and running back are just going to get tackled, but they wait to the last second to either hand it off or throw it. It's pretty unique, uh, and it's been copied by some other teams. So I would say based upon style of play, if you're a Missouri fan, they run sort of a unique offense. They've got one of the ACC's better quarterbacks, and they've also have a really good receiving core. A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, playmakers that can make plays, uh, you know, downfield, catching the short stuff, taking it long. They will be dangerous on offense, and it's a fun matchup against Missouri's defense. Um, for Missouri's offense, though, I think there are some plays to be made downfield against Wake Forest secondary. But you also have to hope you can block them because they do have a pretty good defensive front. It's the other two levels that have struggled for Wake Forest this year. Now, I typically don't ask you, um, you know, to to pick the the winners because we record these so early in the week. But uh, just curious, have you made your decision on the on, on just because we you got twelve games of of research on on each of these? So I don't know. Do you, do you have a a gut of who wins this matchup? I always think about motivation for bowl games. And I think for, for Wake Forest, there's two ways this could go. You're excited to finish the year on a high note with a bunch of seniors who've played a lot of ball together the last couple of years, or there's disappointment that, Hey, they're seven and five and they're in a bowl game that's been sponsored by about 62 different things, including lawnmowers and parades and, <laughs> and, uh, and beef O'Brady's and everything else. So it is an interesting spot. I think motivation for Missouri should be very high coming off the win against Arkansas. I think I like Wake Forest in a close one. I think given that Missouri is going to be down a few pieces on defense, I also trust uh, Wake Forest from an offensive perspective in a game that's probably going to be close. If you need a couple plays, I think Wake Forest, um, Sam Hartman, and some of the play, playmakers they have at receiver uh, will be enough to win this game. But I, but I do think it's probably going to come down to the very end, much like uh, Missouri and Army did last year. Yeah, you never know in these bowl matchups, uh, Stephen. It seems like some of these teams really get motivated to go up against an SEC opponent because they got to hear all the time how great the SEC is, which it is. But and and yeah, it's a popular joke to make. Well, like. Whenever the SEC loses, it's like, well, we just we didn't want this one, even though there's some truth to that. But uh, so I I do think at times the SEC has got a little bit tougher in these bowl matchups, just because they they've essentially got a target on their back, so to speak. But let me ask you this, Stephen, because this is still a a relatively young Missouri team, and we got players like Luther Burden now that uh, you know he's going to have to step up and be a number one receiver for this team with uh, Dominic Lovett in the portal. And and now that he's been able to hit the reset button, he's had all these extra practices. This is a little preview of what's to come next season for the Tigers. Could you see maybe that connection between he and Brady Cook is, is more advanced and, and maybe this is a breakout. Not that he's not our, I mean, he scored a bunch of touchdowns, but if he takes his game up to another level, could you see this being like a Luther Burden national emergence game yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that because um as sort of a college football nerd of course i've played bowl college fantasy i've played college fantasy dfs i mean what a loser you know i'm out here just <laughs> played fantasy football in every possible way for college football but if i had to, to like pick a player who i think could really explode this bowl season it's got to be luther burden i mean you know you look at what wake forest gives up from a a passing yards perspective the big plays they've allowed this year in the secondary, there is every opportunity for Luther Burden to have a monster game uh, in the Gasparilla Bowl. So I, I think if you're Eli Drinkowitz, you get that short passing game, take some shots downfield. We've all been waiting for Luther Burden to be more involved with this offense. I think this is the perfect game to get him more involved. Uh, just keep in mind, too, if you're a if you're an SEC fan, old friend Dave Clawson is the head coach at Wake Forest, and he's done a really nice job uh, up, up there at uh, Winston-Salem. What about Brady Cook? I wanted to ask you about him as well, because it, it certainly seemed like he was playing some of his best football in the finale against Arkansas. I mean, he was critical to getting that win. Looked like Johnny Manziel out there for a minute. So if he continues to progress, I, I think the fan base – you know, they're about half out on him, half excited. I mean, they're they they are convinced they're getting Devin Leary as well because Drinkowitz, I guess, recruited him or something out of high school. So 
yeah, maybe he can put all that behind him. If, if you know, let's say he's got four touchdowns in this game, however they come th- running, throwing, and, and potentially he has an outstanding game. Uh, how big would that be for him uh, going into uh, the offseason? I think it would be huge. I think, number one, what you said there, I mean, watching that Missouri-Arkansas game at the end of the season, his performance, I mean, it stating the obvious, it was significant. I mean, just his overall impact on the game, whether it was rushing, whether it was passing, now you've had an extra set of practices with this coaching staff and also with Luther Burden to get better in sync, better in rhythm, figure out some other things you want to do offensively and we've mentioned it this wake forest secondary is very generous at giving up passing yards so if you're brady cook and you could build two strong performances back to back and go into the offseason with some momentum and missouri can add some playmakers around luther burden then i think you've got something um a bad performance would probably ramp up those calls to get another transfer quarterback if i was missouri given that you're already losing tyler macon you know, Sam Horn's in a pretty good spot to to be there next year. I think you still have to bring somebody in if you have an opportunity. It may not be a starter caliber type like Grayson McCall or Devin Leary, um, but I think you need to bring someone in at, at least for injury sake and also depth. And then in case Brady Cook or Sam Horn struggles, you have a third option that you could go to. So I think continuing what he did against Arkansas uh, would be very significant in the overall big picture for his uh, 2023 hopes. And I also wanted to ask you this, Stephen, because uh, Enos Rakestraw, Chris Abrams Drain have both announced they're back for another season. I think both of those guys could have went on to the NFL draft. I don't, I'm not sitting here saying they'd be first round picks or anything, but uh, I, I mean, I, clearly I, I got no idea where they would have got selected, but I'm, I'm confident both of them would have been selected at some point in a draft coming back to improve their stock and anchor this defense from uh, the defensive backfield. We got Theo Weiss coming in from Oklahoma. I, I lo- loved what I seen from him uh, when I which went back and watched all Spencer Rattler's time with Oklahoma. Um, you know, what, what is, what are those decisions like that? How big is that for Missouri going into uh, what probably will be a critical year for Eli Drinkwitz? Absolutely. I, I don't know if, if underrated, is maybe the best way to to describe Rakestraw and, and Abrams Drain, but I think they are. Like, I know people nationally know that Missouri's defense was better this year, but I don't know if once you drill into some of the specifics, if they realize like some of the players like Abrams Drain um, and Rakestraw and just how good they were this year. A pro football focus from a grading perspective, the targets and the receptions allowed, both of those players graded out very high in terms of coverage. So I, I think when you start thinking ahead to next year, uh, not only are these two guys, they should be penciled in on the all-SEC team somewhere. I think they're still underrated nationally, but they're probably the leaders of next year's defense, giving some of the turnover that Missouri is going to have up front. Also, uh, Manuel also moving on to the NFL from safety. So I think you've got your leaders here in defense, and you've also got two guys who could maybe be potentially maybe one of the better corner pairings in the country, uh, certainly in the SEC next year. And, you know, I always stick to SEC when I got you on, Stephen, but, man, this is the what do they call it? The most wonderful time of the year. There's bowl games on every day. Uh, I'm just curious the next, you know, it'll be a week since we see a next, is there a game or two or maybe even three uh, outside of, of course, Missouri wake Forest that, uh, that you're pretty fired up to, to watch over the next week during bowl season. All of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I have to admit, I'm a pretty big nerd. So I'm going to watch like all every play of, uh, Liberty and Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and San Jose State. I do think if you're like a college football fan, you're just surfing around for something. You know, Air Force and Baylor, I think it's Thursday night. I think that's it's always fun to watch the option of Air Force play power five teams. And then on National Signing Day at eight o'clock central, we have South Alabama and Western Kentucky. Keep an eye on South Alabama head coach Kane Womack. I think he's a guy that we may see in the SEC in the next you know, five years or so. The, South Alabama was significantly better this year after finishing five and seven. 
They also have some P5 transfers that you uh, may recognize, including uh, Gus Bradley's son, uh, NFL former NFL head coach. His son is the quarterback at uh, South Alabama, Carter Bradley. So that might be a, a great matchup of offense versus defense if you're just looking for something to watch on uh, on Wednesday night. Nice. Yeah, well, keep an eye on for that for sure, Stephen. Before you go, as always, can you share with the audience where's the best place to find all your work? Absolutely. Um, as always, thanks for having me on. It's uh, at Athlon Stephen on Twitter. You can check out all my work at athlonsports.com. I have a ton of transfer content up there. If you need to keep track of all the transfers, the transfers that your team has added, um, I've got you covered at athlonsports.com. You can also check out my YouTube page at allcfb365. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Always appreciate our chats. I hope y'all took away as much information from Matt as I always do. Stephen, one of the best out there. Don't forget to give him a follow at Athlon Stephen. Check out his YouTube page, All CFB. All CFB 365. But hey, that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We try to do our best to get Cousin Shane back on the line before Christmas gets here. No promises, but give him a week off. He should show up. So, <laughs> but that's going to do it. We'll catch you on the next one.